0: Welcome to another episode of the SaaS podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talked to Abdullah Alsadi, the co-founder and CEO of Taker.io, an online ordering platform and mobile app for restaurants. How many failed startups could you handle before you gave up? Well, Abdullah was working as a security systems engineer in Riyadh in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. He had an idea for a cryptocurrency app. He was so excited about it that he jumped into building the product. And after writing almost 30,000 lines of code, his app was ready. But that's when he realized he'd built a cool product, but there was no market for it. Sometime later, he had an idea to build an app on the Salesforce platform. He'd learned his lesson from his last failure and had a clear market and customer in mind this time. But Salesforce wasn't set up at the time to support app developers in the Middle East. So Abdullah wasn't able to sell anything on their platform. He then decided to build a B2B last mile delivery company. This time, he made sure that customers could actually pay for his product. And his solution was a success and he had happy customers. But the business wasn't profitable and there was no easy way to find efficiencies and scale the business. But his perseverance and grit kept Abdullah going. He pivoted to a delivery management software product. He knew this business could be profitable and his prospective customers loved the product. But they used legacy point of sale systems, which were impossible for him to integrate with. So it seemed like no matter what Abdullah tried or how good his idea or product was, he just couldn't find success. It was failure after failure. Now, most of us might have given up by now, but Abdullah started working on his next idea. But he was out of money and didn't have the funds to actually build a new product. And he didn't exactly have a strong track record of success to persuade investors. Yet, he found a way to build the product and get it to market. And this time, things started to move in his favor. He's grown Taker.io from zero to almost a million US dollars in annual run rate. There are some great lessons on what Abdullah and his co-founder did right with Taker.io and how he funded the development, found customers and grew the business. But more importantly, he learned far more valuable lessons from all the failures he had over a period of five or six years. And that's what's really interesting about Abdullah's story. So I hope you enjoy it. Abdullah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you or just gets you out of bed every day?
1: Uh, Yeah, of course. I do have one that I think I invented myself, which says, fear failure but feel the fear of it, which means, yes, plan ahead of time, uh, make sure you don't fail. But at the same time, do not let the fear of failure stop you from doing anything, basically.
0: Love it. So for people who aren't familiar with Taker, just tell us, what does the product do? Who is it for? And what's the problem that you're helping solve?
1: Taker basically is a SaaS-based online ordering system for local on-demand businesses, what we're trying simply is that where the local on demand businesses like restaurants that we are focused on today that we help them have their own online ordering channels like a website and an application so their their customers can order directly through them So this is simply what taker does
0: okay so like any restaurant can can sign up use taker and they basically get a their own website ordering system and they just pay you a subscription for that.
1: Exactly. You could say a Shopify, but for restaurants.
0: Okay. So you've got an interesting story. You've bootstrapped the business, it launched Taker early 2019, and you are approaching, getting very close to a million dollars in ARR. So I want to really dig into what you've done over the last year. To build this business out. But before we get into that, I think you have a really interesting story about the multiple failures and different businesses that you tried to build before you got to Taker. So why don't we start with that? And why don't you tell me about the first attempt at, at building a business?
1: Yeah. It's actually interesting. You know, um, my background is is computer science, and I actually was specialized. I got a master's in computer science, but specialized in crypto. And I was looking at uh, crypto from an engineering side, not from the the math side. Basically, if you know how crypto works, it has two parts: the math side, where they invent the equations, etc., and the the engineering side, where you implement the systems, crypto systems. The first startup that that I actually did was called SecureMe. It was basically content security solution. It's interesting that I, I actually spent six months uh, coding myself that solution. I wrote I don't know twenty, thirty thousand line of code, and I was I was actually trying to target businesses. But the problem was that when I created the first version of it. It's like I was asleep, and I woke up, and then I started looking up for who my client is, who my segment is, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I completely forgot about the business side. I was focused so much on the on the technology side, how I should build it, you know, how it should work, et cetera. And I know many founders might fall into that trap, but it was, it was actually very, very bad because I wasn't focused on on a specific segment. I wasn't focused on a specific set of clients. I wasn't like aware of... Uh, uh, because if you didn't know that, if you didn't know that you wouldn't be able to have product market fit as, as to speak basically so it didn't work out basically I tried to find clients I tried to find here and there everyone had different ideas, different requirements uh, that was actually my big mistake. I actually killed it eventually but when I wanted to kill it what, it, what I did was that I uh, you know it had a mobile app. I actually took that mobile app okay and kind of tweaked it a bit and then I released it on the Android uh, Google Store. I had actually. I remember, you know, back like six, seven years ago. Uh, someone actually, uh, it was there was a light version and a paid version. Someone actually paid for my app. <laughs> it was kind of a two dollar. Yeah, someone did actually. <laughs> so um, it was. I was. It felt good that I, you know, made money. But it was two dollars. But it's still, you know, someone wanted to to pay for it. And and the funny thing is, until today, okay, Google is still sending me emails saying that, you know, we're holding your money because they, they don't have my, my back account details <laughs> to give me, to give me that, uh, that $2. <laughs> so, yeah, but I dumped it. I dumped it out. I, I did not continue it. I just killed that, that, that business basically.
0: You know, I mean, I love marketing and I spend a lot of my time on marketing these days, but when I get a chance to start coding and I get really in the flow I really don't want to think about that other stuff like yeah. customers. and I just wish like, oh, I wish somebody else could take care of that because I'm just so into the code, and I just don't want to do anything else. I don't want to think about eating or whatever. And um, I think a lot of a lot of developers get into that because you're doing something that you really love doing. You can see that you have this in this vision of this solution that's going to solve this problem. But you just don't know. You haven't thought about who it's for, or, and that's where it's, you know it often falls over. So you got the two dollars. That's great. And you know, I I was kind of joking about that, but I think it's just for anybody. And the fact that you still remember that, it's just like when you do something and you get the first sale, no matter how small it is, you always remember it, right? It's an awesome feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened next? So you've sort of. You you did something on Salesforce as well, right?
1: Yeah, actually, when we basically stopped the, uh, that crypto solution, we basically started thinking about, okay, what to do next, okay? We wanted to do something on cloud, all right? And uh, when we started digging, where should we go? Or what approach should we take into, you know, offering a cloud service or a cloud solution, whatever, we actually came across Salesforce. Salesforce at that time was very famous, as you know. And then we decided to build an app over the Salesforce platform. As you know, they have an app exchange platform where developers can actually build their own app on the Salesforce platform. So we decided to do, to do it that way, to leverage the infrastructure, to leverage the existing clients, because anyone who's using Salesforce can actually buy our app with a like few clicks, which was amazing an amazing business approach. And then we, we thought about, okay, what to build? What kind of app should we build? We decided to build an app, uh, like an HR management solution, our app. We called it Humanage, from like human management. So then we started actually building an app. We had, okay, we had the first version. And then the problem was that uh, we had two problems, okay? Mm-hmm. The first problem was that you had, there has to be an approval step from Salesforce. They have to approve your, your solution that you built on, on their platform. As you know, because there's there an agreement, there's a revenue share agreement, they have to know the value provided to the, to their clients, etc. Which was fine for us. We, we were actually uh, passed all of the steps, but one step that actually stopped us for, you know, for how long? It stopped us for a year and a half. Wow. And the problem was that we found out later, we were the first in the Middle East to build an app over the Salesforce platform. And in fact, Salesforce did not know how to treat us because we were the first. One of the things that Salesforce focuses on is pricing. They have to have uh, an agreement with you where they basically determine the lowest price that you could uh, go with and you, you sell, basically. And this is where we spend a lot of time just discussing. I don't want to go into the details, but we spent a year and a half trying to get the app approved. And as you know, a year and a half for a startup not being able to sell is a nightmare, basically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I I wish uh, my opinion can hear that. (laughs) But yes, that was actually a big, the, the business approach was amazing. The product was amazing. The way we crafted the solution was amazing, but we could not sell, actually, we could not sell it. The other problem is that we decided to basically seek fund and, you know, approach investors. The other problem that we faced was that when we told investors that we're building an app or solution over the Salesforce platform, they actually didn't know what Salesforce was. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of them told me that, How, why would I invest on something that I don't know? I said, Salesforce is a, at that time is a $70 billion company, it's listed, the market, stock market, and uh, you know the biggest cloud company, uh, but still they actually did not did not know what Salesforce was, so we, we could not actually respond for that. So well, yeah, and then the business just was uh, was was bankrupt basically. We could, we could not sustain it anymore, and we killed it as as, as you already know.
0: Okay, so that's like the second, yeah. sort of business, and then you got into the delivery business.
1: Yeah exactly and then we we actually after that we did uh we we created a company uh, called Duke it's basically a B2B last mile delivery service our approach what we wanted to do is that we wanted to deliver products okay in 1 hour like you, you it's it's faster than you going out to buy something so so we wanted to make it so easy and fast to, to buy products online and get it delivered within one hour. It was a very risky way because, you know, it's, it's kind of, a, from a logistics point of view, it's a warehouse list approach where there is no warehouse. We don't collect products and we'll bring it to the warehouse where, the, where we re them again. Uh, no, we pick and deliver quickly. I mean, after some months, we realized how difficult that was. And in fact, the clients were happy, the businesses were happy, the end consumers were happy because they get products fast, but we were not happy because business is not scalable at all. You cannot really scale up the business. Then we, we decided to turn it into a SaaS product. It's a delivery management platform, SaaS-based delivery management platform, where we wanted to basically help those who have the delivery fleets have a, have a, like a software to manage their, their deliveries. Yeah, and then we, what we did was that when we turned the business, pivoted basically, we said, okay, who do we sell to? And there were multiple uh, segments, but there were, the, there were the logistics companies, the uh, the retail, the, the delivery, the... Uh, uh, the restaurants also... So what we did, we said, okay, we need to focus on one segment, and we decided to focus on the restaurant segment because they have, you know, high volume of orders, delivery orders. But at the same time, everything is paper-based operations, basically. So we wanted to help them with efficiency, to reduce the cost, to improve the the, the efficiency, etc. When we started to sell and approach the, the, the restaurants, in fact, everyone loved it. Everyone loved the product, the, how it works, the problem it solves but the problem was everything has problems uh, obviously the problem was that our product by nature comes integrated it has to come it has to be integrated with uh, order sources like pos systems or whatever uh, for the order to be created on duke for it for them to deliver but the problem was that the restaurant industry in general they have like desktop based legacy systems that you can never integrate with they're not cloud you know what i mean that you can integrate etc so we have this was the biggest problem that we faced everyone wanted to use our product but they're going to be creating the or delivery orders manually it's just a nightmare it's against the whole idea behind efficiency right so yeah that was actually the, the 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 thing that i hated the most everyone liked the product but no one was able to use it because of this issue we tried a few tricks. We tried a few things to overcome this. Each one of them was to partner up with one of the biggest cloud-based Russian PS Systems in the, in the region. We did you know, uh, do that. Uh, we were successful. And they did the integration with us. Uh, it, was, it was like one click away from using our software. Uh, again, technically it worked. Strategically it worked. Better from a, from a, like when it comes to sales, it didn't work. for Again, for other reasons uh, that I can talk about later. So we we figured out that, you know, and realized it it's not gonna work that way. We have to do something. Then we decided to build taker because taker is going to solve the problem of the order source for, for the delivery management, where we can integrate both products together perfectly.
0: Did you think about building taker as okay, this is gonna become the the flagship product, or was it we're gonna build this taker? so the restaurants can start using it, so then we can sell our delivery management software?
1: We knew there was a need for up. We knew that. But we didn't have the time to, to build it out at that when we were building the delivery management software. And we had to focus. But when, when it didn't work out with the delivery management software, we had to build up. We didn't know... Like we didn't know it's going to be the lead gen. It's not. We didn't know it's going to be the flagship product, basically. But it has become the company. It's not just a flagship product.
0: So when when was it that you got to that point where you decided to build Taker? Was that in two thousand nineteen? Was it sort of before that?
1: It was actually late two thousand eighteen.
0: Okay. So late two thousand eighteen is when your focus starts to move towards this idea for taker everything that you've described so far the crypto solution that didn't have a market the salesforce app that you couldn't sell because they didn't know how to deal with a product in the middle east the last mile delivery you know everybody's happy except you guys because you can't you know kind of run this thing efficiently and scale it over what period did all of that happen from the crypto solution until you got to the point of late 2018
1: I think we started in 2014.
0: So it was about four years that that you were on this journey trying to figure this out. Yeah. Okay, great. So you've got the idea for Taker. And one of the reasons you said you hadn't built it was because you needed to focus and you knew it was going to be a a fair amount of effort and, and, and to kind of build it out. So how long did it take you to get to a point where you had something that you could get in front of customers?
1: When we came to an end and realized that we had to do something, we had to build up. We need fund. Okay. And we had two ways. Either we seek investments and approach investors to get, you know, funded or we find, uh, you know, other ways. What we did was we decided not, not to go after investors because it's a very long journey and uh, you don't have anything in hand. You know, it's going to be very difficult to respond, very, very difficult. What we did was that we approached clients before even we had product and we sold them the vision and we had them pay like five years worth of subscription in advance. For how long? F- five years.
0: Five years. Yes. How, how did you get people to commit to paying for a product for five years that they hadn't even seen? Well, <laughs>
1: it, 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 as I said to you, we sold them the vision, okay? And we gained their trust. Yeah, and they, they did that.
0: And did you sort of give them a, a great deal to for them to want to commit? I mean, if you'd come to me, even if I was excited about it, I'd probably say, well, that sounds great. And maybe I'll commit for a year. So what was it? Were they getting some really great? Deal for the pricing to sort of make that sort of commitment.
1: Yes, of course. Yes, they had to. They have to have something basically. But it was it was a good deal for us, for both of us basically. Until until today, they're getting you know a very special treatment. To be honest, but the thing is, uh, when they committed to that, we used that fund to build the product, and we did deliver. We did deliver a very good product. That was what we actually promised, and they were happy. And in fact, they came back to us asking us to build. A POS system, point of sale system. To that extent, how you know how happy they were with us because we did deliver a good a good product to them. But, but of course, we said okay, we, we barely focus, we barely can build Taker. Okay, we're busy hundred percent with Taker. We can't build other systems actually. Yeah, so we used that fund to build Taker, which was actually which worked perfectly fine, and we did not have to actually seek uh, uh, investment at all, which helped us focus on the company growing the company and building the product. And we had a great team. That's actually, I think, that was the most important factor. The great team that we have uh, was able to successfully build the product in a very, very short amount of time and resources.
0: How many customers did you pre-sell this product to?
1: If I still remember, I think uh, four customers.
0: Okay. And, And are they still customers? Yes. All four? Yes. That's good. Yeah. Okay, great. So you did something smart there, and you found a creative way to to finance or fund the business by pre-selling to these these customers, and that gave you enough there to be able to build out the product. and And when you launched, they were happy with with what you'd created. What did you do to start finding more customers and growing beyond the those initial four?
1: Yeah, uh, we did something that was very risky. And I don't recommend B2B SaaS companies do that, but uh, this is what we did. We started to approach the big clients, the big guys. We knew that if we were able to get them in, the, the rest would follow. But if we were not able to get them in, we would have wasted our time and resources. I knew it would be a very bad thing for the business. It was a very, very risky thing. So when we did approach them, we basically showed them the product, how it works. We created successful stories. We showed them the success stories, basically. And uh, we were successfully able to get them in. When we got them in, it's just like, you know, the B2B uh, companies, as you know, it's just like a ball rolling, you know what I mean? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So then eventually... Instead of, because we started when, um, from sales perspective, uh, we started to do uh, on-ground, B, typical B2B sales where we uh, outreach and approach uh, uh, clients, etc. That was our plan, actually. We knew that if we got the big guys, we'd uh, be turned into like a word of mouth referral sales. This is what is actually happening right now.
0: So when you say big guys, how did you define that company? What sort of size are we talking about?
1: You know, if we talk about restaurants in general, there are two, two things to put in mind uh, when you're defining uh, how big that restaurant is. First is the number of branches, number of stores that they have, if it's a chain. Uh, second, sort of sales, their sales, basically. Uh, how much are they making a year, et cetera. Th- that because well, why I'm saying this is because there are people, restaurants that are like maybe have five branches only, but they're making like huge sales uh, a year. And we consider that as a decline. So from if it comes to a number of branches, we were looking at like a 20, 30 plus restaurant chain. If it comes to revenue and sales, we were looking at like those who have over like $40 million sales a year. That was our definition of sort of the big guys.
0: And how many of them were there? Plenty. Was this just in... Riyadh, or was this kind of broader across you know, different markets in the Middle East? Like, where were you focusing?
1: Till today, we're focused in Saudi. Saudi and Riyadh specifically, it has like 70% of the Middle East market, almost, or 60% of the Middle East market. So we have a, wow. a very big enough market to, <laughs> to, to conquer. So that's why we're still focused on there. But of course, we always say Taker is born global. Because it was a SaaS company. But until we get, until we basically dominate our market, then we will be looking at um, other markets.
0: Yeah. I mean, there was one thing sort of surprising about Taker and the website was I didn't see any clues that this was a business focused in Saudi. Well, I knew it was because of you. But in terms of like the way that the, the website came across, it just didn't have an idea other than when you look at maybe some of the logos and the companies that you have there also it was it was interesting that it's just like everything is in english was there ever you know a a need for people to say well we we need sort of for you to support arabic version or anything like that
1: it has two languages right now even the product has two languages it has english and it has arabic too by the way even though we are in the so the population of Saudi is the thirty two million, half of which is expats. Speak mostly English, so English is, is is has to be there in any way.
0: You have sixteen million expats.
1: No, no, 10, uh, half of half of the thirty two million, like almost ten million in Riyadh. Half of ten or or, or, or thirty million in Riyadh, in Saudi. Sorry.
0: Wow. Okay. All right. So you've identified these bigger companies. What did the sort of the the outreach To these companies look like? And tell me a little bit about what type of challenges or objections you had getting them on board.
1: Well, if if your question is about sales and sales strategy, you know the B2B sales has its own challenges. there, There is like, I would say, a scientific way of doing it where you have to identify the stakeholders, you know, inside the company, the decision makers, and then you have to know who your champion is that you can, you know, that can help you inside the company making the decision to go with Taker. We had to play all of these games, as you already know. So we played that that game, basically, with with the company. It's not a game, but it's a way of selling to the businesses in in general. Mm -hmm. We had definitely, uh, we had friends also. We had friends of friends also that all together, we tried to leverage every single channel that we had, you know, in hand, uh, to help us you know, to facilitate the sales. But overall, we knew that if we had a good product, we would be able to sell. That was actually uh, the thing that we really focused on. We did something that, that helped us in a big way Why big companies started to uh, join Taker. We knew that people loved apps. We could have sold only website, holding website, as you know. But we decided to build an app, and this is something that I want, want to talk about. Why we decided uh, to do so? Because, you know, at least in Saudi, I'm pretty sure everywhere kind of the same. People are used to ordering food from the apps, not from the websites. And we got those statistics from our friends building the, the aggregators' applications, you know, the food ordering applications, uh, like Overeats, Eats, Hunger Station that we have in, in, in Saudi Like I would say over 90% of the orders over those platforms come from the app, not from the website. So we knew that people are used ordering food from the app. So we focused so much in building the applications and perfecting it. So And and our strategy did work because the potential clients didn't look at the website. They actually looked at the apps and they liked the apps and then they decided to join us. And in fact, until today, 95% of the orders created on Taker's platform Comes from apps, not from the website, by the way. So that was something that we knew beforehand when we wanted to build a product, which helped us a lot with our growth because everyone wanted wanted an app. So, yeah. So uh, I, I, I forgot your question, but I, if you have a question, how did you, uh, what was your question again? Sorry.
0: So, yeah, the question really was how did you do outreach to these companies? And, and as you've talked about it, it was an account based marketing approach right you have a certain number of target customers here you're you're figuring out exactly who the the key people are the decision makers the stakeholders you're you're working the relationships you're trying to figure out how to do personal outreach here once you got your foot in the door what did the sales process look like what did you have to do to to get to a sale how many meetings were they? How many demos did you have to do?
1: It's a good question. Today, it takes us, you know, no more than two phone calls today because we have already established the brand. We have established the company and everyone knows us. But before, uh, we had to do many, many things. We had, like, it used to the sales cycle used to be three months, by the way. Now it's been shortened. Now it's almost like... Uh, I would say two weeks when the uh, client started interacting with us. But of course, when you do B2B uh, sales, after identifying stakeholders the decision makers, uh, you have to do one thing that is very, very important. You have to have your champion inside the company. Because you know restaurants are companies at the end of the day. They have management and these sort of things. How to get the champion mm-hmm. is a different story, but you have to, at the end of the day, get to know him, you have to talk to him, you have to You have to make him feel that, you know, choosing Taker and going with Taker would get him promoted in his job. And if you reach that level, it means he's going to fight for you inside the company when they are on one table deciding whether to go with Taker or not. But it's a combination of, I would say, social intelligence, uh, you know what I mean, social engineering, you know what I mean. It's all sort of psychological tricks also that you need to, do uh, to get uh, to get there
0: how did you figure out who these champions were in the in the organizations
1: well you have to do your homework (laughs) before approaching a a new client you have to uh, do research you look at the company up on like linkedin or uh, elsewhere you have to look at their social media how they work you have to know who they are working with like other companies they're working with you have to ask you know what i mean we do ask our clients also uh, about other companies um, and restaurants. There's no like, one way of doing it, but at the end of the day, before getting in a meeting with them, you have to have a good idea who they are, who the stakeholders are, who the decision maker is. But not only that, what the pain that they're having is. Because if you come talking about what you, how brilliant your product is, no one cares. They care about the problem that you're, their problem that they want you to solve, basically. So that's why when you are, after all of this uh, research, uh, you have to, on the meeting itself, the first meeting, you have to let them talk for you to to grab what their problems are. So when you talk about your product, you don't talk about your product, you're talking about the solution to their problems. So if you did all of that, you maximize your chance that the sales is going to go through.
0: Do you have a sales background?
1: I never studied sales, but I did (laughs) sales. so i practiced it i would say okay most of my time like with building those products and the journey that i went through it was all b2b i I never did b2c uh, any b2c business yeah so that's why i kind of learned how to sell in a way or another i'm still learning actually
0: so in the four years before you got to take a you were getting practice with b2b sales
1: uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, see, uh, I, we did make many, many mistakes. We did lose deals actually before because we didn't tackle the sales properly, but we learned. Again, we learned.
0: Okay. And so of these, you, you sort of had targeted about 20 companies, the, these big guys. How many of them were you able to land as customers?
1: I think at least 15. Yeah, at least 15.
0: Wow. Were you the only show in town? Were there other products or solutions out there, or were you the only, like, what what were the alternatives that they could choose from building something themselves? Was there something, some other product they could buy?
1: There were actually other products, locally and internationally too. Not only that, they had other choice of building it themselves. But however, as I said to you, we have uh, an extensive experience in the industry we know how it functions, what the pain points are. we knew what people wanted, and uh, we worked building the product we worked with clients, as I say to you, right from the beginning. so we were working with them to understand exactly what to deliver to them. So I would say we just built a very good product that was actually the the, the point. If uh, our product wasn't good, it would not we would not be able to to sell it, even though if we had experience selling B2 b you know, uh, solutions, et cetera. Product at the end of the day is what the clients look at at the end of the day. So this is how, how, it, uh, how it worked.
0: And did you find that once you'd worked with those initial four customers, like, did you get to a point where you felt like, yeah, we've, we've pretty much nailed most of the problems that most of these customers are going to have? Or were you finding that when you still went in to do these deals with these bigger companies, there was a bunch of work you still needed to go back and do on the product.
1: Before Taker, as I said to you, we had the delivery management software, which we were targeting restaurants to. So we were not new to the industry. We knew the problems. We knew what the clients wanted. But of course, there are many, many things that we learned as we as we were building the product. But right from the beginning, we would not be able to sell the vision, as I said to you, to the clients before building even the product if we did not know what they wanted. Yeah, we knew many, many things. We we knew the pain points, as I said to you. And and also working with them closely building the product was actually also very, very helpful. So when they talk people when they talk about product market fit, right from the beginning we had about product market fit because we did not almost have assumptions, you know, to validate. Uh, everything was validated right from the beginning. So so that's why that that actually escalated uh, uh, our growth because when we approached new clients after those four, everything was there almost. So they did not like they did not say, okay, you don't have this, you don't have that. Everything that you essentially needed was there, which which was helpful for us.
0: Right, and and then as I think you mentioned earlier that the having the social proof as well that when you've got some of these bigger brands or or logos as already as customers. It kind of makes the decision for a lot of the smaller businesses easier, right? In terms of, well, if these companies are, are using Taker, it must be good.
1: Exactly. Yes, that was part of it, also.
0: So it's it's kind of been an you know interesting journey that we've talked about here f- for you and the multiple businesses that you you try to build, and all of them were you know there was there was just like something missing, right? In terms of whether it was like oh we got the product but don't have a market or we've got a market, but we are unable to sell it to them <laughs> or all of these things until you got to the point where you, it kind of almost really prepared you and primed you for, for being able to build taker. And I think that's probably part of the reason why you've been able to, to, to bootstrap this business and, and do really well in terms of growing it very quickly over the last year Looking back at this this journey, what do you wish you had done differently?
1: Well, many things, actually. <laughs> See, uh, the failures, yes, they are failures, but actually they're lessons at the end of the day. We would not have been able to build Taker or grow Taker or even sell Taker if we did not go through those obstacles and failures at the end of the day. But uh, the, the thing that I, if I you know, go back, uh, the thing that I would really focus on is focus on specific thing and choose the segment, not only the industry, also the segment inside the industry. As I said to you, when we built the the delivery management software, there were multiple segments. Like there were there were the uh, delivery companies, the logistics companies, there was the, uh, the retail industry, and there was the restaurants, a couple of others. So we picked the restaurants, basically. We, we had to pick one because even though they all had the same pain point, but everyone solves it differently. So, focusing on one, on one segment is the thing that I would... The, uh, we did it with, with the delivery management software, but we did not do it with Human, the, the Salesforce product. We did not do it with SecureMe. We, you know what I mean? We did not even know who our client was. So, yeah, choosing the segment, even, even though if you had wrong assumptions... Being focused on one segment would would help you correct it quickly instead of being really scattered around uh, multiple segments multiple problems multiple ways of approaching or solving the same uh, the same problem
0: yeah, I think that's good advice all right we're gonna move on. let's do the lightning round. You're a listener of the show, so you know the drill here. I'm going to ask you seven questions and just try to answer them as quickly as you can ready yes, ready okay. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Focus. What book would you recommend to our audience and why?
1: The book that I love is called Law of Human Nature. It basically, it basically teaches you how psychology works. And that when it comes to business, that helps a lot, not only in your personal social life, but also with, with like, uh, hiring and managing employees, etc. also dealing with, with, with clients. So it, it just teaches you
0: how, how psychology works. Do you know who the author is? Uh, he's,
1: he's called uh, Green,
0: uh, Robert Green. Robert Green. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah I, think I, yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. Okay, we'll include a link to that. And uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur?
1: Well, I would say perseverance.
0: What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit?
1: A productivity tool? I, I like Spark. It's, it's an email client. That is really brilliant. It helps you with your, with your... It helps you be productive with emails. You know, let's put it that way.
0: I, I use Spark as well. So there's two of us.
1: Uh, oh, yeah.
0: Cool. <laughs> What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the time?
1: Uh, I wouldn't call it a business idea, but it's actually something that I have been... Because coming from a crypto background, what I want to know is I want to know how AI can help break crypto. I'm not sure if someone has done a, like a scientific research doing uh, like trying to figure out if that works or not, but I I believe there is there is an interesting things to it.
0: How to break crypto. With AI. Interesting. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Well, I write poems. You're a poet.
1: You could say that.
0: (laughs) And, and finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work?
1: Oh yeah, um, I'm actually I'm actually a cultural tour guide. I have been doing this for uh, for nine years voluntarily. What I do is people coming from like outside of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I take them out. I, we will go to the uh, like uh, traditional and historical sites. We talk about you know cultural and etc. I have I have met about like. I don't know, thousands and thousands of people from over 150 countries, you know, having different backgrounds, different educations, you know what I mean, different nationalities, different colors, different way of thinking. I think this has been extremely helpful for me. That's why I'm passionate about it, because people think they are learning from me because I'm the tour guide, uh, but I'm actually learning from them because they come from all different backgrounds. So yeah, that's kind of a passion that I, that I do outside of my of my work. I'm not doing it much these days, but I yeah. do it for, for nine, nine years.
0: Wow, that's awesome, great. Well, Abdullah, thank you for joining me. It's been it's been a pleasure talking and sharing your story. If people want to find out more about Taker, they can go to Taker.io. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: They can reach out to me on my email Abdullah at Taker.io, or also they can reach me out on LinkedIn or Twitter, where it says my handler is Sadieur is W A D I E U R. Yeah, I'll be happy to help.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, they, they got the emails, so Abdullah at Taker.io, and then the links to the LinkedIn and the Twitter, we'll include that in the show notes for people. Great. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate you joining me and I wish you all the best of success with Taker.
1: Thanks, Emma, for having me.
0: My pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye.